Hello, hello, hello. This is the Vanilla JavaScript Podcast. I'm Chris Ferdinandi. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, I wanted to talk about the web platform itself and whether or not it's dying. Before we dig in, though, I did just want to give you a quick heads up that next week, uh, Friday specifically, I kick off my biggest sale of the year. From Black Friday through Cyber Monday, every single thing I sell will be 50% off. Every guide, every video course, every bundle. I'm also opening up registration for a new Vanilla JS Academy, and that's also half off. And as if that weren't good enough, if you buy one of my bundles or register for Academy, you'll also get over $1,000 in bonus discounts for other products, as well as a few freebies. So keep your eyes posted for that. I'll be sending out an email with the specifics next week. Um, so with that, uh, let's get on to the show. So I've seen more tweets lately, particularly from Google Chrome developer Alex Russell, saying that the web is dying. And Alex and I, um, I think him and I are both very much in agreement that we're building things for the web that are too big, are too slow. There's not enough for focus on performance that we're really over-prioritizing the developer experience over the user experience. And Alex is a really nice guy who's been super patient about having a lot of conversations with me and like really digging into this stuff. Um, one area where him and I, I think, disagree though is on what the implications of this web bloat are for the web itself. Um, where in my perspective, uh, the web is, um, is maybe a little bit broken and needs fixing or the developer best practice pendulum has swung too far in one direction and we need to course correct back to the other. Alex sees things as a little bit more dire than I do. He specifically feels like the platform is dying, that we're losing to native, and that um, the web might not necessarily go away, but that it'll exist as an underlying architecture for native apps instead of a first tier client itself. And I disagree. I think the web is a mess. I think modern best practices are creating slow, obnoxious experiences for users. There are a few big influential companies who have a vested interest in subverting the web or creating a walled garden, including uh, Google, where, where Alex himself works. But that's to say nothing of the platform itself. The web platform, in my opinion, is this beautiful thing that we build sites and apps upon and, and is alive and thriving. So... I look at big influential social media companies like Twitter and Facebook, right? They have a vested interest in keeping you on their sites. Their web apps are bad. Um, Facebook is a mess. The Twitter web UI is... Eh. Their mobile apps act as a web browser itself. So when you click links instead of opening it up in you know, Safari or you know, native Chrome on your device, they're running a version of that behind the scenes that's kind of wrapped in their app. So they keep you inside their cozy little garden. You're not leaving the app to view this stuff. And you can make an argument that that's a little bit better for the user experience, but what they're really doing is trying to keep you in their platform. Apple makes a ton of money from their app store. And I, I love Apple. I, I make no apologies about that. They definitely do some stuff wrong, but um, I really like their focus on privacy. But they have a vested interest in web apps being inferior to real apps. Um, they make a ton of money from their app store. And uh, Safari lags way behind Chrome, Firefox, and Edge in feature implementation, both on desktop and on mobile. Um, in many ways, Safari is the new IE. 
Progressive web apps are there in Safari, finally, but they're not as full-featured as they are in other browsers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Chrome developers are the first to complain that they can't use their own rendering engine on iOS, but Google is not an innocent player in all this either. Google is an ad company, and, and as an ad company, they have a vested interest in keeping you in a walled garden too. You see this with things like AMP. Um, several moves they've made to try and mask URLs in the address bar and divert people to searching for stuff. Um, a browser that shares everything you look at on the web with Google itself. So Chrome is a really good browser that effectively functions as spyware, tracking everything you do and making sure Google knows about it so they can better target ads at you. Chrome moves fast. Um, they definitely push out more JavaScript features than any other browser, but in doing so, um, they uh, you know they sometimes do that without meaningful participation in a cross-vendor standards process. Um, and while they're great at implementing JavaScript features, they're behind on a lot of CSS features. So this sounds bad, right? It actually gets worse. So the size of the average web page gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but the web as a whole is actually getting slower. I wrote about this. Um, a little bit earlier this week, um, or uh, earlier this month, rather, where the the most explosive growth we're seeing on the web is happening with mid and low end mobile devices, and it looks like it's going to continue that way for the next four or five years. So, um, the the overall kind of speed of the web, we're you know we're making pages bigger, and then the devices that are accessing it are actually getting worse. Um, so while you or I might use a really fast device, and maybe you don't, I don't want to be presumptuous, but you may use a really fast device to access the web or have a great internet connection, but um, the growing web does not. Um, and modern best practices have us using increasingly complex and fragile build tools that make development less accessible to beginners and non-JavaScript experts. More and more of the web is dependent on JavaScript, the most fragile part of the stack. We've built this delicate house of cards, but still, I don't believe the web is dying. I actually think the web is flourishing. More people than ever have access to the web. Countries that skipped the desktop revolution entirely can now connect to the web thanks to these incredibly powerful computers that we all carry around in our pockets. Even these low-end, slower devices are still absolutely incredible for what they are, computers in your pocket. Like, that is absolutely bonkers that we have this capability. No, they're not as powerful as the latest iPhone, and no, they're, we're not doing as professionals enough to build a web that works for those people and those devices, but the web is spreading, not shrinking. Putting something on the web is easier than it's ever been, too. There are so many options for hosting blogs and spinning up sites. You have hosted platforms like WordPress and Squarespace that make it easy for people with almost no technical skill to build a website. Static site generators um, like Jekyll and Eleventy and, and my personal favorite, Hugo, make building customized, super fast sites easier than ever. DigitalOcean provides reliable, dirt cheap, virtualized hosting. Every single site of mine that you access, I think I have like a dozen of them, all run on a single $5 virtualized private server from DigitalOcean. Netlify makes deploying static sites across the globe simple and relatively painless through their distributed uh, you know, CDN network. They handle all this stuff that you used to have to do manually for you. It's, it's a dream. 
CodePen provides an easy way to spin up demos and experiment with CSS, JavaScript, and an assortment of frameworks and libraries. Glitch helps beginners hack together apps and experiment with new technologies and is building a great community of makers around it that support each other and help each other. It's just awesome to see. There are countless courses, tutorials, and articles people can reference to learn how to build things for the web. Not just mine, there's such a rich ecosystem of learning uh, resources available now. And modern JavaScript methods and browser APIs make building cross-browser experiences easier, easier than ever. Modern CSS templating with Flexbox and CSS Grid makes building complex layouts so much easier than when I learned. If you want to, you don't have to mess around with floats and clear fixes and all this other garbage I had to when I was learning. Progressive web apps mean that websites can function like full-fledged real apps, including working offline, which is just amazing. Like you can build a website and have it run with no internet connection. That is so cool. There are so many challenges to face as the web grows. Most of them are people problems, habits, inertia, a misalignment of priorities with user needs. Those can be overcome. I don't know how you look at all these amazing tools and technologies and feel like the web itself is doing anything other than flourishing. Um, I wrote about this in an article uh, last week, and I got back a few really thoughtful responses. And I thought they were worth talking about. So, um, uh, you know, one segment of them was that um, because of all this bloat, we're seeing users turn more and more to native apps instead of the web and um, spend more and more time in a few native apps. And uh, that there's a real danger that if we keep doing this with the web, um, that's just where people are going to spend all their time. And I don't think that it's an either-or kind of thing. I think I actually don't have a problem with people using native apps for certain things. There are definitely certain tasks that I think native apps are better suited for and I would prefer. And then I think there's certain things quickly looking up information and, and things like that, where I'm not going to download an app for every single thing. I'm still going to use the web for a lot of stuff, even though I also personally like native apps for certain things. I think that's okay. Um, uh, I also um, uh, uh, got linked to a couple of really interesting articles uh, that I thought were worth mentioning that were deeper, deeper explorations of this topic. Um, so one of them was The Web Falls Apart from, um, and I'm going to butcher his name, and I, dude, I'm really sorry about this, um, Baldur um, Jarnison. Um, dude, I am so sorry. I, like, I just really suck at names. I'm American, so I also suck at geography. I hope you can forgive me. Um, he wrote a really great article, The Web Falls Apart, that talks about how the web is expanding to include ever more people but that its center is collapsing in on itself. Um, and I'm going to quote him. So he wrote, The basic foundation that underlies the web really does seem to be in trouble. It's failing to compete with native, both for user and developer mindshare. Where it does dominate as a primary format for media, it's predominantly encapsulated in a compromised in-app browser that's built into various social media apps and comes loaded with spy software that tracks whatever you do or read on the web which makes it an unmitigated privacy disaster. Tech as a whole has become the willing tool of a panopticon surveillance state, but the web is a much bigger contributor and enabler than it should ever have been. Ads as a business model is destroying the user experience, skewing public discourse, 
and weakening the very fabric of our democracies, while the web isn't the sole culprit, it is one of the biggest contributors. Many countries, democracies, and dictatorships alike are starting to exert more and more direct control over what their citizens can read, see, or publish on the web. And to be honest, I don't disagree with any of that, really. I think that's spot on. And while I, as a tech-savvy man in the U.S., can do things like select a more privacy-minded browser, update my DNS service, set up a VPN, install ad blockers, the average web user doesn't know how to do those things or even know that they should. And so what does that mean for the web? According to Balder, it means that the web is likely to collapse on itself at some point. And he continues, We are, in all likelihood, looking at the very beginning of the collapse of the web in its current form. This isn't a, the web is doomed, doomed, I tell you, kind of blog post. It's more in the, the web is in, in its current form isn't sustainable and will collapse into a simpler, more sustainable form, possibly several genre. Collapse doesn't mean that it's all going to go away. Sociopolitical collapses usually don't work that way. Most of the damage is likely in the collapse itself when the system is breaking down into simpler components. And he's quick to point out that well, he doesn't think, or he's quick to point out that he doesn't think the web is dying, more that it's going through a metamorphosis. And I'm going to link to this article in the show notes. You really should go read the whole thing. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I also got linked to the transcript of an amazing talk that Mandy Brown gave at Deconstruct back in 2014 called Hypertext as an Agent of Change. Mandy explores the history of knowledge and what innovations like printing, the printing press mean for global enlightenment. Uh, she said, prior to the printing press, every astronomical table had to be copied by hand, inevitably introducing errors. If you spotted an error and wanted to correct it, you had to recopy the entire table, likely creating as many errors as you fixed. Then someone else would come along and make a copy of your copy and then a copy of that. And soon every copy of the data that you labored over would be uniquely inaccurate. Print changed all that. In the printing press, as an agent of change, Elizabeth Einstein describes the press as introducing typographical fixity. With print, each copy made in a single run was perfectly identical to every other copy. The drift that happened with scribal texts, when each copy would subtly change and drift away from the original, was eliminated. If an error was discovered in a printed book, it could be corrected in a subsequent printing. For the first time in human history, new copies of a text actually improved rather than deteriorated. Now, a reader emailed me to tell me that um, Einstein actually got this a little bit wrong and that there were still new errors that got introduced in subsequent printings, um, but that it seems like generally um, the overall trend was increasingly accurate printings, even if new errors did sometimes get introduced. Uh, Mandy then digs into how the web expands on what the printing press started, noting, if the print gives us fixity, what does hypertext give us? The speed with which that fixed text is shared is directly related to our ability to learn faster than we ever could before. News can be disseminated, uh, disseminated corrected, reshared, and confirmed several times over in the span of minutes or hours. It can be analyzed, contextualized within days. A law can be drafted in response before the next sunrise. A community can formulate a plan and begin to act on it within the week. But hypertext brings with it something else too. 
That speed and fidelity gives rise to a transparency of iteration and revision previously unavailable. Not only can I rapidly evolve a text, but I can also expose the evolution and let others participate within it. I can open up the collaboration wider than I could ever before. But this technology also has a dark side. It doesn't just help us move forward. It also reinforces, echoes, and amplifies the toxic elements of our current world. Mandy continues, We like to think that the systems we build are neutral ground. Anyone can sign up for Twitter or Facebook. Anyone can reach the network. Therefore, everyone has an equal voice. But the technology we build inherits the social and political systems of the world we inhabit. It is not a pristine, perfect, clear-eyed utopia. It is a messy, sexist, racist, and as fucked up as we are. This is difficult, but it is important. Either we and the technology that we build work against the systems that prolong inequality, or we perpetuate them. Once again, this is an amazing article, and you should go read the whole thing. I'm going to make sure I link to it in the show notes. It is simply fantastic. It's got some really good anecdotes in there too. Like, Just go read the whole thing. As soon as you're done listening, maybe even before, pause, go read this article. It is fucking fantastic. So... um, What, um, uh, sorry, where was I? So when I, when I tweeted about this, uh, earlier last week, before I wrote the article, um, uh, Ashi Krishnan asked me, I'll ask you the same question I asked Alex. Do you think we'll be using the web in a century, a millennia? And it's a fair question, but to paraphrase, uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, CGP Gray, I don't think it's precise enough. I do think that we'll still be using the web in a century. I think the way we'll be using the web will likely be very different in 100 years. How? Impossible to say. Technology moves so fast and yet so very slowly. We were supposed to have flying cars or at least full-fledged self-driving cars by now. We don't, and we won't anytime in the near future. Cars have changed tremendously over the last 50 to 100 years as technology has improved, but they're also still fundamentally the same as they always were. Four wheels, a frame, a steering wheel, and an engine to move it forward. I imagine that 100 years from now, the web still, at its core, will be a network of information that connects people to each other. How we access it and how we interact with it may be very different. It may be very much the same. I'm okay with that either way. I don't think the web is going anywhere. But as we learned from those articles from Balder and from Mandy Brown, there are a lot of considerations around the web itself, on how we use it, on its role in society, and what this means for the world we live in. And so if you care about this stuff, about the web in general, and about making the world better specifically, what can you do? And by the way, if you don't care about those things, I don't think this is the podcast for you. Um, I'm going to be very clear about this. I I care very deeply about the web and about the world we live in, and I really prefer to interact with people who do too. So um, if that's not you, this isn't the show for you. You can go somewhere else. Um, but to me, this means a few things. It means that we need to put accessibility and performance first. And I'm going to link to um, some resources to help you there down in the show notes. Um, It means that you shouldn't collect data about your users that's not 100% um, uh, necessary for the the functioning of of your application. Even things like like analytics. Like I don't have any analytics on any of my sites anymore because I discovered I just wasn't looking at them. But 
If you do need analytics for your your site or your business, um, some people do. I think it's valid to help kind of drive business decisions. I think there are some better choices you can make than, say, Google Analytics. Google doesn't need any more data about your users and what they do. Um, and one that I think is really, really good is Fathom from Paul Jarvis. Um, <clears throat> it works in a way that doesn't track personal data about your visitors. It doesn't drop cookies. Um, it puts privacy first. And so... Um, it's actually GDPR compliant without any sort of cookie notice. Um, so that's a really cool tool you should check out. I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes too. Um, I'd love to see us come up with revenue models that don't involve advertising. I get emails all the time about putting ads on my site. Um, and I, I honestly, I just, this point, I don't even respond to them. I just ignore them. Um, because, um, I don't want your reading experience to be, contaminated with with advertising. I don't want it to influence the kind of things I write about. Um, and so I've come up with a revenue model where I get paid um, by turning the stuff I write about into more, um, more comprehensive or more focused tutorials that people are willing to pay money for. Um, I want to see us own more of our content. I'm going to drop a link to this thing called the IndieWeb. Um, it's this whole movement around Publishing more of your own ideas on stuff that you own rather than on platforms like Twitter or Facebook where they can manipulate and monetize the stuff you create. I also want to see us take a stand on how our code is used. Um, uh, I am very quick to point out that I don't think that the Open Source Foundation's definition or Open Source Initiative, I forget which one it is, um, uh, their definition of what open source means, that anybody without discrimination can use your code is right. Like, fuck the KKK. I don't want them to use my code. They can they can go fuck themselves. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I don't think code should be able to be used by anywhere, anybody anywhere for anything. Um, I think there are certain things for which my code shouldn't be used, and I'm okay saying that. And I think that we should require people in our communities to not be toxic assholes. Um, uh, there's this really awesome thing called the Contributor Covenant that I'm going to link to down in the show notes um, from Coraline Ada Emke. Um, that is an open source document you can, um, you can take and copy and repurpose that creates some standards around how people should participate in open source projects, for example. Um, and, uh, and I just, I really like stuff like that. I'm sure there are others, um, but these are all aimed at um, both dealing with some of the kind of the the issues around collapse um, and kind of the way the web is subverting our society that Balder talked about, and also some of the things Mandy talked about in terms of how the web is is a tool that can either reinforce the social inequalities that already exist or can fight against them. And these are some tools I think we can use to fight against them. Um, so. Uh, you know, the, the long story short here is I don't think the web is going anywhere. I think the web is thriving. But I also think that we have a lot of work to do to keep it that way, um, to fight back some of the cruft, some of the bloat, some of the bullshit on the web. And to be completely honest, I need your help. I, we all do. I would love for you to, to help make the web a better place with me. So... That's, uh, that's it for this week. I'm sorry, this week was a little bit longer than normal. This was a topic I really have been meaning to explore for a while. I think it's a really rich kind of conversational area, and I would love to hear what you think about it. So head over to gomakethings.com slash about 
and contact me, send me an email, hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to keep this conversation going. Um, and don't forget to keep an eye out for my Black Friday Cyber Monday sale that kicks off uh, next week, next Friday. Um, it's my biggest event of the year with some awesome deals and a ton of great bonus offers. And I think you're going to love it. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.